Alright everybody, welcome to BO Boys for Wednesday, December 28th. It's a raw feed. We're doing it live. I'm Clayton. Yeah, Pat. And Clayton, we're coming to you in the middle of this holiday week. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Holidays. Happy Honda Days. Whatever you celebrate. And we're doing a big double episode. A big, you know, weekend review, weekend preview, whatever you want to call it. But the main thing is we got Santa Claus himself. The man of the season is here. He's here to bring us the presence of box office knowledge. The legend Scott Mendelson, now of the rap, is he? Yeah. Is that? Is that uh, I, I was about. I was so used to saying Scott Mendelson of Forbes, but yeah, he me got too. a new gig. <laughs> it was nine and a half years. Wow! Uh, but no, I mean, I, I I jump ship, and you know, I don't want to get into the nitty gritty politics because there was no wrongdoing on you know any way, shape, or form. But um, I am now at the rap. I am one of their film journalists. Um, I'm no longer doing the daily box office beat and I'm no longer doing reviews, but I'm doing sort of catch all jack of all trades film journalism, which does occasionally involve box office. And mm-hmm. especially if it's not stepping on the toes of the people that do that already there and do it very well. Um, so, you know, it's, 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 you know, some streaming commentary where appropriate, um, as well as, you know, looking into the, some of the overseas markets, you know, what's going on with China, mm-hmm. what I predicted seven years ago, um, mm-hmm. what's going on with India. That I don't know, but it's interesting. So, <laughs> Could India so, be the new China? I'm not sure. So you are, you're a big film journalist now at The Wrap, but your box office coverage, I, I feel like it's now even more of a scarce, important resource. And I am happy that that resource is available here. On the Bo Boys, it's your your appearances were always very important, very uh, you know uh, something that everyone craved, and now it's even more important than ever. So thanks for joining us, Scott. So I think we got to get right into it. This is a huge week. We got Avatar two that you're going to walk all of us through just how Way of Water is actually doing. There's a lot of competing theories. Of course, your theory is the only one that matters. So. Clayton, why don't you take us through the top five, and we're going to go with the four-day grosses. So what happened from Friday, December 23rd through this Monday, December 26th. All right. So number one, Avatar, The Way of Water. It had a four-day of $95.5 million. This is its second weekend. Puss in Boots was number two. Puss in Boots, The Last Wish made 19.2 in its four-day, in its first weekend. Number three was Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody, which made 4.7, oh, I'm sorry, 6.75 million in its four-day. Number four, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, had a four-day of 5.5 million. And number five, we had Babylon, which made 4.8 million dollars in its four day all right so we're gonna get listen we're gonna have to get to babylon at some point but let's start off with the big one the one that i think has gotten the most box office chatter out there avatar 2 way of water so last week this opened up clayton and i had to calm the masses a lot of people online trying to say this thing was a disaster 
nobody wanted it. The only thing people ever are going to want to see are superhero movies. James Cameron is a failure, and he always has been, blah, 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 so on, so <laughs> forth. Clayton and I calmed the masses. Movie theaters are not closing down, huh? Avatar huh? 2 was nowhere near a disaster, huh? It's huh? going to make billions of dollars, huh? But huh? we've now got a second weekend in the books. And the thing Clayton and I kept trying to hammer home is it's all about these two weeks. It's about the weekdays. It's not even about the second weekend, but it definitely isn't about that first weekend. So now we're through Monday, December 26th. The grosses are in. Scott Mendelson, what is your big picture thoughts on Way of Water? Is this a flop? Are movie theaters done? Or are things doing fine? Or what's your take on this right now? Well, unfortunately, I don't think movie theaters are going to live and die by the periodic overperformances of Ted Poles like Avatar The Way of Water or Top Gun Maverick. The biggest problem facing theaters right now, overall domestic box office for the year, is down around 30, well, will be once Avatar's finished in terms of movies released this year, will be down around 39% from 2019, which is terrible, but there's been about 40, 40% fewer releases this year compared to 2019 and that's the problem you know for a variety of reasons covid caused post-production delays certain studio programmers like the man from toronto or shotgun wedding being leased off to streaming um certain theaters you know certain studios like disney being a little skittish probably more than they should be about theatrical Mm -hmm. um and, you know, MGM is now part of Amazon, so we don't know if that is – they're even still on the board in, the, in a broad sense other than periodic temples like Creed III. Um, so – but as for Avatar, The Way of Water, one big thing. James Cameron likes to talk a big game. Mm-hmm. He has a certain amount of earned hyperbole and earned arrogance. I'm pretty sure when he said the movie had to make $2 billion to break even, he was kind of talking a little shit. He was um. he was kind of joking. I mean, not yeah. joking, but and we'll get to this guy later. The Rock is someone who seems to want to set a very low bar mm-hmm. for for the success of his movies. James Cameron, he's the king of the world. He wants to set a high bar. That two billion dollar number. We all know that he's kind of making Avatar three while he's making Avatar two. And this movie really didn't cost a billion dollars or whatever is going out there. So that's our take, too, is that the yeah, $2 billion I mean, number is kind of phony baloney. If it really is, you know, again, I, I, I don't know. This is totally speculation. Right. If the movie cost $450 million, most mm-hmm. expensive movie ever made, okay, mm-hmm. fine, whatever. And they spent $250 million to market it, okay, fine, whatever. That's what, $700 million? Mm-hmm. So you need double that to break even? $1.4 billion? It might get there in a couple weeks, mm-hmm. and it's not done yet. Right, right. Do That's I think the film's going to make two billion? Maybe, maybe not. Okay. It crossed a billion dollars worldwide tonight, yes. or I'm sorry, whenever this is recording, uh, last night. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it took about two weeks of global theatrical release. It did it about as quickly as Spider-Man: No Way Home, despite a much smaller overall opening weekend mm-hmm. uh, domestically and worldwide. The weekday numbers have been fucking nuts for this picture. Yep. Shocker! Who could have seen that coming? Oh wait, because um, I mean the picture delivers on its audio visual promises. Mm-hmm. 
Um, it looks fantastic in IMAX 3D. It looks fantastic in Dolby. It looks great in you know high frame rate, assuming you like high frame rate. That's a more complicated conversation. Um, and most people who are going to the movies, even if they don't think it's the greatest thing ever made, they're thinking they got their money's worth. Yeah. And they're telling their friends that they, you know, yeah, this is fun. Go see it. Take your kids. Right. Um, the other thing that I think we're going to have to look for is this film was almost always going to be leggy by rational standards, at least in terms of even in terms of Christmas releases. But it might be even leggier than we'd expect. I'm not saying it's going to be as leggy as the first one or Titanic or anything like that, because, A, there's almost nothing coming out in early 2023, especially if you don't like horror movies. All due respect to Megan and uh, M. Night Shyamalan's Knock at the Cabin, um, which I'm sure will do very well on their own, in you know, respectively. Um, and this there's been so much chatter about you need to see this film in IMAX or you got to see it in 3D you got to see it in Dolby that i think there's a larger percentage even if it's a little bit a larger percentage of audiences that are waiting until weekend two, weekend three, weekend four, or four days after Christmas when everybody's off of school so they can get the seats they want in the auditorium that they prefer yeah yes uh, absolutely we found that to be the case we found that this is a movie that is people are picking their spots. They know it's going to be out for a while. They know it's going to have the PLFs for a while. So they they know it's not going to be a case of like Maverick where Maverick had the IMAXs for what? A, two weekends maybe and then it started trickling off. This is yes. going to be a movie you can see in 3D IMAX for a few weeks when the kids are out and they can pick their right in the middle, whatever that is, they're going to do it. Now, now, Scott, they've been comping this to Rogue One. I see this getting comped to Rogue mm-hmm. One a lot. Now, do you think that is a good comp? Is because, or, or should we only be comping this to Avatar One? Because you know, it seems like this is performing the way an Avatar movie performs. Uh yes and no. Generally speaking, when you think of Christmas, leggy Christmas blockbusters that weren't crazy leggy, and by that, you know. Avatar, Titanic, Jumanji, um, The Force Awakens, which was still is still one of the big most leggiest movies ever to open above a hundred million dollars. It made two forty eight in opening weekend and legged out to almost four times that number by the end. That's nuts even by Christmas standards. Aquaman made three thirty five from a seventy two million dollar opening weekend. That was the leggiest live action big deal superhero movie since Tim Burton's Batman in nineteen eighty nine. Whoa. Um, so yeah, I mean that it's 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 but in terms of regular Christmas legs for big movies, The Hobbit, The Hobbit 2, I'm excluding The Hobbit 3 cuz it opened on a Wednesday, uh Rogue One, um Tron Legacy, those are films that made over under 3.5 to 3.9 times their respective 3-day opening weekends. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if we play in that sandbox, then Avatar The Way of Water will make about will make about double what its 11-day total is. So okay. right now, it's at, what, 295 mm-hmm. So over under 575 seems to be the basement. Right. So then at that point... Sort of 800? No, I don't know. Right. So but, at that point, it... It seems like this will, because Rogue One made $530 million domestic total, it's going to end up higher than Rogue One, but maybe not in a completely different league. 
you yes. know, not in that 700 domestic. Yes. I mean, let, let's let's talk about the high end. Do we feel that that high end is still on the board where Avatar yes. 2 Way of Water is a top 10 domestic of all time? It's bumping up against uh, uh, Maverick and the original Avatar and Black Panther. Can it get to that level? What is the path where that happens? Will it? I don't know. Can it? Absolutely. Okay. Because, again, you know, not to be a cliche, but, you know, don't bet against James Cameron. Um, th- you know, I'll be very interested to see what the next three days of weekday grosses are like. Mm-hmm. Um, and, again, even after everybody goes back to school and business as usual, there just aren't a lot of movies opening in early 2023. Right. And that's, right. you know, again, all due respect to the horror films that, you know, Megan could absolutely overperform. Right. Right. Uh, I've seen it. It's a lot of fun. It gives you what you want from the previews. My, you know, it's 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 you know, it's a kind of movie that yes, I wish it had been an R because there are there are times where it feels like it's holding back. Mm-hmm. But my eleven year old had a blast. Right, right. Megan, and, Megan could be the black phone. You know, knock at the cabin could be old, yeah. and cocaine bear. <laughs> will probably be snake on a snakes on a plane, yeah, but it yeah, could yeah. be which by twenty twenty three standards would be great for an original oh. non franchise whatever R rated picture. Like I, absolutely, I say it's that with sad. all due respect. Yeah, but we don't have unless I'm forgetting something. We don't have a Bad Boys for Life or a Sonic the Hedgehog mm-hmm. level movie opening in January February. So Avatar uh, way February, of water eventually mid February Ant Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Right. Okay. So and that's there's basically when things kick off. So we've got. Six weeks about where Avatar yes. Way of Water, barring a cocaine bear or a knock on the cabin, really has theaters to itself. And yes. probably another week or two weeks almost where you're going to have a lot of people home from work, a lot of college kids home from school with nothing to do. So yes. it really has almost two weeks where the weekday grosses could be absurdly high. Yes. And that's that's where the magic is made. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 Christmas legs are unlike any other spot in the calendar. Um, I mean, I remember growing up and this is probably before your time, but, you know, a movie like Mouse Hunt could make which opened the same day as Titanic, by the way, mm-hmm. Titanic Tomorrow Never Dies yeah. uh, and Mouse Hunt. That movie made 10 times at six million dollar Friday to Sunday gross. I uh Sabrina which you know the in 1995 it was a remake with Julia Ormond and Harrison Ford it under opened with about 5 million dollars and legged it to 52 wow um it's a great it's just a great time to be a movie theater it's not a great time to be every movie as we'll get to but it's definitely a great time you for you got to open if you can open then right open. and um do you think that this movie because I think the 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 thing that we're hearing a lot of is like all the Cameron movies. There's always the and I don't want to say haters. It's a you know it's it, it's a term that's beneath all of us. But there's definitely an audience always rooting against his stuff. And I think especially today, there's an audience that roots only for superhero movies, and anything that's not is something to root against. And I think that camp is setting up the absurd success of Avatar One as the success line, which is just, uh, it's, it's such a straw man. It's, you can't have the greatest thing of all time and expect to happen, have it happen again. This movie is not going to make $2.9 billion. I wrote a lot of posts in 
late summer, early fall 2015, right up until the release of The Force Awakens, saying that while it probably would make a gajillion dollars, here are some reasons why it might only make most of the money, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as I like to say, instead of all the money. Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously it did turn out to make all the money, but I still had people on my social media feeds swearing it was a flop because it didn't crack $3 billion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So... And this is an ongoing problem with people who don't have any clue what the hell they're talking about trying to lead the discourse. Mm-hmm. And this isn't just movie box office. This is culture in general. I mean, you right, know this. Right. But, you know, you have people on TikTok that with you know, millions and millions of views talking about how Avatar The Way of Water was a flop because James Cameron said it had to make $2 billion on opening weekend. Right. Yeah. Right. And you know what? James Cameron, he sets the bar high. And somehow he's going to cross that bar. And it does seem like people, listen, Clayton and I saw this. We like this movie. Uh, we're, we're not apologists or anything, but we like the movie. It, it gives you what you hoped it would give you. And it does seem like this movie has good word of mouth. And it's, it's a movie that is delivering what people would have wanted it to, to give you, which is Yes, There's big creatures underwater, and it looks really cool, and it looks like it took a lot of time to make it. Yeah, and what we're also seeing is massive, massive numbers overseas. Mm-hmm. Prior to COVID, most a lot of big deal blockbusters, Jurassic, Marvel, et cetera, et cetera, the the expected split was something approximate, you know, thir- a third domestic, two thirds overseas. Mm-hmm. Um. What part of what happened after during COVID, after COVID, partially because they, to a certain extent, they lost the Chinese market. And while China was often merely inflating the already impressive grosses of globally successful releases, mm-hmm. like Jurassic, like Marvel, et cetera, et cetera, the math kind of got skewed to where we started seeing these big, big movies that were pulling closer to 50 50. Right, right. Right now, with, I would argue, an underperformance in China, although it is recovering. Um, it didn't drop as bad as everybody was was expecting after that second Friday tumble. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, it's probably going to make less in China than Jurassic World Dominion, which there are obviously lots of reasons for that, mm-hmm. both related to COVID and related to the changing political ecosystem that is China right now. Um and that's not a good and evil conversation. As long as no. I still get to see the wandering earth too, I'm happy. Um, well, like you've said in other places, they are a market now that makes their own blockbusters. So yes, a avatar way of water is not a novelty. It was yes. 10 years ago or five years ago, or even three years ago. It's a yes. totally different ball game there. Hollywood but, doesn't have a complete ownership of blockbuster movies worldwide. But even with China, I would argue underperforming a little bit. Avatar, and let me look this up to make sure I have the most updated numbers. I apologize. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pulling in an old school 30 70 split, right. which means it's making 30% of it, 31% of its money in North America and it's making 69% of its money overseas. Mm-hmm. It's already made $662 million overseas. It passed the overseas gross of The Rise of Skywalker on Sunday. Um, it is basically doing 3.25 times its domestic number worldwide. So all of this, you know, what's it going to do domestic? What's it going to do domestic? Okay, triple that. Right. And right. that's where we are worldwide by the end. And do I think it's going to hit $2 billion? I don't know. 
Um, but it certainly is still in the realm of possibility. Now, is with- Maverick the only movie this year that has opened in 2022 and made over a billion? Does no, Jurassic-, Jurassic World Dominion squeaked into it. It did squeak. Uh, okay. Partially thanks to China, which that is the biggest Chinese for a Hollywood movie. That's the biggest Chinese gross of the year with one hundred and fifty nine hundred and sixty million dollars, which is good. But it was still well below Lost or uh, Fallen Kingdom, which did two sixty two in twenty eighteen out of one point three eight zero eight billion dollars. And uh, the two twenty five ish for Jurassic World in twenty fifteen out of one point five billion dollars. So as you can see, even during the good times of between China and Hollywood, most of these films did not need Chinese box office to soar to infinity and beyond at the global box office. Right, right. Um, now, to to its benefit or not, I mean, I know Cameron said two billion. That number seems to be in the ether. Do you think if this does not reach two billion, that the consensus just culturally will be that this movie was a failure, even though all evidence points to it not being. Do you think it's that simple that if this does not reach $2 billion, people will be like, Avatar 2 underperformed? There will always be people that will look at a movie like this and find a reason why its performance is not good enough. It makes for clicky copy. It makes for viral social media content. You know, we were. This is exactly what happened five years ago with The Last Jedi where you just had an entire ecosystem of people that just didn't get that the film was basically performing compared to Force Awakens identically to how Attack of the Clones compared uh, performed compared to Phantom Menace mm-hmm. and com- as Empire Strikes Back performed compared to uh, Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Even though, mm-hmm. I mean, not to toot my own horn, I wrote articles about this before the movie came out. Right, right. <laughs> saying this is what might happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, you know, that was the biggest grossing movie of 2017, domestically and worldwide. It made $1.3 billion. Yet, somehow, some way, the narrative became that it was an underperformer because the trolls on YouTube and the trolls gaming Rotten Tomatoes user scores. And this is not to say that plenty of good, decent people had subjectively valid reasons for not liking The Last Jedi. You know, obviously, but, you know, I I think it's very clear when you watch The Rise of Skywalker that somebody at Disney or Lucasfilm mistook online whining for mainstream consensus. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. Right. Right. They didn't just go by the numbers, which clearly said people like the second one fine. Well, high selling Blu-ray, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Right. Um. That being said, Avatar 3 is mostly done from what I gather. It's not like Disney's going to go, oh, oh, no, you only made $1.75 billion. Let's make a bunch of changes and, you know, appeal to Reddit. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, right. That's, that ain't going to happen. Right. As no. far as um, we know, Joss Whedon is not coming in to – or not Joss Whedon. J.J. Abrams. Sorry. Yes. Definitely not Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon is definitely not coming in. J.J. Abrams is not coming in to direct Avatar 3. So I think I think we're safe there. Um. As far as the whole, will this make it to five movies thing? I mean, to Cameron's credit, he said one thing he said on the press tour that was more modest, humble, is like, look, if this film doesn't perform, there is a way for me to finish this with three films. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to end this on a cliffhanger. And, you know, to Warner Brothers' credit, that's exactly what they did with Fantastic Beasts. That Mm -hmm. film operates as a soft finale to what is now a three-part Fantastic Beasts trilogy. 
Is that done? Is that there is no Fantastic Beasts four script out there? Uh, to my the knowledge, there's no script. Nothing's been greenlit. Is it possible that David Zasloff will get desperate enough for Harry Potterish content and greenlight a Newt and Tina run around the world catching Fantastic Beasts HBO Max show? Maybe. Right. But right. I think other than that, I think that part of the franchise is dead. Right. So um, I think. Unless, is there anything else we want to touch on for Avatar Way of Water that we have? It's a huge hit by any rational standards. Great. It opened well. You know, people bitched and moaned about the $134 million opening. By any rational standards, a movie that opens to $77 million and then spawns a sequel that opens to 134 is a breakout sequel. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And like um, we've, we've talked about, this is not a Marvel movie where people needed to go opening weekend because they're afraid of spoilers, because they want to know which actors have been signed to contracts to do cameos, <laughs> you know, what actor got their quote and gets to be in an end credit sequence. It's just a movie that people go to when they have the time to get to it over the holidays. So. It's funny because on one hand, I would say that the, you're right for the record. I'm not disagreeing with you in any way, shape, or form. But that you know, this is not a film that's you know got to see it before you get spoiled. Blah blah blah. That being said, I think there are there are character beats and plot moments in this that are genuinely shocking mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. a film that wants to be a all quadrant mega movie. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I think it's it's to the film's credit that it goes there. Oh, it goes there. And um, it's funny, you know, James Cameron gave an interview where he said he, t- he cut 10 minutes of gun violence out of the film. Yeah, I which, just read that. That's fine, his prerogative. But it was funny because I'm watching the film on, on you know, the first screening. And like, it did feel up to a point like a kindler, gentler, more kid-friendly Avatar movie mm-hmm. where the violence wasn't quite as hard. You know, you had whales knocking people into the water. Are they killing them? I'm not sure. Um, and then, of course, you know, the action climax, like, holy shit. Yes, there is there there is one pretty brutal moment in yeah. there, um, um, and you couldn't lose that. So, yeah. moving on, I, I we've got other movies that open two, three. We'll get to those, but I want to get to the other big movie that came and went this past weekend: Babylon. Damien Chazelle's follow up to La La Land and First Man, and it's Brad Pitt and it's Margot Robbie and. I'm just going to throw out something that Clayton and I talked about a lot leading into the opening of this movie. Babylon felt like it was done a disservice by opening only a month or two after Margot Robbie's Amsterdam, a movie that everyone hated, deservedly so. That was a spectacular bomb. And and Scott is doing the I liked it sign there, which is fine. <laughs> everyone can like what they like. And... He's Ed, he's right. Okay. Well, see, this is the content you get on YouTube that you don't get on the podcast. So yeah. subscribe, links in the show notes. You get to see Scott actually say that he liked uh, Amsterdam. But it was a movie that most audiences were perhaps wrong about and they didn't like it. It was a spectacular bomb. Show up. <laughs> and Babylon looked very similar yes. in its marketing to Amsterdam. Stars screaming crazy things, running all over the place. Margot Robbie doing a Brooklyn accent. And we both think that this movie was DOA just based on the Amsterdam hate. And for other reasons, I think the marketing of this was pretty rough. It cried macho. You know, that is the term that that 
Clayton and I use when a big movie like this opens in that $4 million range. It, it under, it cried less than macho. Mm-hmm. It wishes it cried macho. It wishes <laughs> if, if only to cry macho is what Babylon says. So Scott, why did this happen? And was it always destined to be yes. this much of a disaster? Okay. I mean, I mean, you know, you, you could argue that, that a slightly, and again, how do you market this movie, which I kind of enjoyed it. And I, I, I don't think it's the kind of movie that necessarily deserves a ridiculously device divisive reaction, mm-hmm. but it's a three hour tone poem about the end of silent films and the rise of talkies. And it's basically a bunch of actors, some of them popular, some of them less well-known, just basically gallivanting for three hours and getting mm-hmm. into mischief. And, and there's not really a plot. It's, 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 it's something I, I tend to call a lazy river movie mm-hmm. where you're just luxurious, you know, you're just relaxing in, in this particular world that you, you, you know, if you like it, then that's very good. And, you know, if they had brought in Leonardo DiCaprio, could this have been as successful as Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Probably not, but it probably would have done better than what we got. You know, if they had cast Sandra Bullock instead of Margot Robbie, only because, all due respect, Sandra Bullock's the only actress right now that can pull in, you know, actually put butts in seats right now. You know, it might have done a little bit better, but, you know, not enough to make it a hit. Um I don't know how you market this film in a more conventional way. It's yeah. like I, I, I wasn't crazy about the trailers of the Fablemans. They made it seem like it was a bit more uh, uh, treacly, if that's the word. Yeah, schmaltzy. Um, schmaltzy yeah. than it really is, and it's not. I mean, it really isn't. But it's weird. You, it's a weird you movie. Also mar- do you also marvel? You do instead market it as this somber, contemplative, somewhat depressing movie about a child living through his parents' divorce. That that won't get anyone in the seats either. Right. We, right. we were talking about the new, the latest um, trailer for Babylon, even really centered Toby Maguire in a way that he's not in the movie huh. for a very long time. But we were joking about the fact that, I mean, he's a Spider Man. And guess what? A year ago, you liked seeing him as Spider Man. Maybe you like to see him as a yellow toothed uh, criminal. <laughs> um, and But that's the thing is, I really do think they had issues marketing this. And now, correct me if I'm wrong, this was a holdover from the last reg- yes. um, regime of Paramount. And then uh, Brian Robbins still championed it. He wanted to, yeah. and I think probably for Oscar purposes, right? You want an Oscar uh, nominees and, and winners if you can. Uh, but this is this a black mark for him? Um, no, I'll be honest. Here's why. This film is only a little bit more commercial than Martin Scorsese's Silence. It's mm. a film that opened to crickets in late 2016. But in 2016, Paramount was on a, was beginning what would be a six-year-long losing streak, basically. Mm. Um, you know, if 2016 had come and gone and Star Trek Beyond had been a hit and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in the Shadows had been a hit and Whiskey Tango Foxtrot had been a moderate hit and off Christmas Office Party had broken out, um, you know, except, you know, Ben Hurd maybe even made a couple bucks, then mm-hmm. Silence would have been one of those you know, for the love of the game, this is what Transformers pays for kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but because all those films were disasters, well, okay, and this one also flopped, but what the hell? Um, same thing with Mother the next year. You know, if 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 
Transformers The Last Night had been huge, then you know, it would have been worth it to make 16 or 13 hours The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi or whatever that movie, the full mm-hmm. title of that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I remember when when Mother came out, you know, Paramount, you know, I think it was Jim Goplin Opus at the time. It's like, I'm paraphrasing here. It's like, what the fuck? This is the kind of stuff you always say you want. And, you know, Netflix is cool because they release stuff like this. But when we put it out, oh, mm-hmm. right, right. obviously that's heavily paraphrasing. <laughs> um, and... But in 2022, Paramount pulled off the theatrical comeback of a generation. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've never. I mean, I've been writing their obituary in slow motion since 2016. I mean, Studio of the Year easily. Yeah. Easily. So I would argue, in the broad scheme of things, that Babylon being a financial disaster and probably not being a big Oscar contender, mm-hmm. that stinks. But. And that's you know it's like okay that's what Tom, Top Gun pays for yeah that's it, what smile the the pure profit that is smile goes toward yeah you know yes. if you want to be a real movie studio then you know the tent poles are called tent poles for a reason they yes. hold up everything else and they you know uh, 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 Batman Forever kicks ass so it's okay whether Bridges of Madison County is a big hit or a moderate hit or a, a, a small earner that's that, you know. That is a great way to look at it, and and I hope Paramount does look at it that way, where Babylon lost money, but Johnny Knoxville kicked in a couple of bucks. Yeah, and <laughs> you know, Ghostface from Scream kicked Babylon, in a couple of bucks. Babylon brought to you by Jackass Forever. You know, I would see that. I, I would productions. say. I would say get from the studio that brought you Jackass Forever, <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog two. Scream That's five. That was a huge. I mean, Jesus. And, and Top Gun Ma- Maverick. And Top Gun Maverick. And- Get that in this trailer. Make that be thirty percent of the yeah. next trailer for <laughs> Babylon. Is just listing off their twenty twenty two slate from the studio that um, brought you. And I don't and- want to spoil anything for, but I think that actually saying that this is from the same studio as Jackass. There's a few scenes in this film. That would not be out of place in a jackass film. So if you wanted to cut a trailer to get the kids to see this, there's a few scenes available to do so. I think you could get Johnny Knoxville into a green screen studio and have him introduce some of his favorite clips from Babylon. And that is your trailer. Just go for it this weekend. I mean, Scott, we've all seen this. It it might be the way to advertise this movie. Um. Now the good news is that the, that elephant would yeah. make such a great addition to the Jackass cast. They might even do it in Jackass Five. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a, there's a, a a Fatty Arbuckle-esque character in this movie yeah. that I think that guy would be such an addition to Jackass Five ever. Um, I do think it's it's financial failure is just it's indicative of of where we've been since 2016. Yeah, if not earlier, which is that. Movie stars don't put butts in seats with a few exceptions, DiCaprio, Bullock, and to a certain extent, Dwayne Johnson, when the budget's under 150, thank you very much. We'll get to um, Gerard Butler, when the you know, when you can get a $15 million weekend and pop champagne. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a genuine B movie star, at least he was before COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are others that, you know, again, part of the issue is that when Tom Cruise was kicking ass and taking names in the 80s, movies would cost $30 million. Well, that's that's the thing. And also, 
Brad Pitt, I would say, is still clearly a movie star based on Bullet Train. Yeah. I don't know. It's like you said. I don't know the movie star that makes this particular movie work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? I mean, other it, than maybe DiCaprio by default. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. Do you, do, do you cast DiCaprio and, and Sandra Bullock and age it up a little bit? and Maybe that works? I don't know. It works better, but I've seen a lot of comparisons to Wolf of Wall Street in terms of this type of movie. And obviously, Wolf of Wall Street was a giant hit. Made, what, 300 domestic? Is that mm-hmm. it Worldwide. 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 Which is still great. I mean, it's... I mean, it, insane for that movie. And I think that's such a... That's still such an unfair comparison when you're talking about Babylon... Wolf of Wall Street was a movie star director in Scorsese, genuine mega movie star in DiCaprio, and just a story that was very easy to yes. translate in a trailer. It's it was, sexy and of the moment. Yep, yes. Skeezy Wall Street guy does bad things. Eventually, FBI puts him in jail. That was the trailer. You knew what you were going to get. Nobody knew what Babylon was going to be. It was, you are correct. I uh, think... There is a way of marketing this movie a little more clearly and centering somebody as the lead. And they just, as great as Paramount is and as tough as this movie is to market, I still think they did a pretty bad job of marketing it. I generally hate to blame the marketing because that tends to be what happens when a movie that isn't commercial anymore that maybe was a generation ago underwhelms or when a film that film Twitter thinks should be a hit and sometimes they're right does not deliver and it's, oh it's obviously the marketing no it's because people lie when they say they want movies like Widows they're full of shit they'll mm-hmm. say they want movies like Widows and then they'll go see Fantastic Beasts the Crimes of Grindelwald right mm-hmm. they want 10 part is, series yeah. like Widows yeah but they don't want to movie yeah, exactly like or do they I mean other than if, it, if it's not on Netflix nobody watches it mm-hmm um, um, what do you think this movie means, if anything, for Mogarabi? I feel like she's getting most of the heat for this, especially that it's coming on the heels of Amsterdam. I think there's a long history because it makes for good clicky content. It makes for viral content that when an ensemble film performs poorly, it amazingly becomes entirely the fault of the one female lead. Mm. Um, you know everything from how do I how do I know with Reese Witherspoon, um, Amsterdam with Margot Robbie, uh, Australia was somehow Nicole Kidman's fault and not Hugh Jackman's. Mm-hmm. The invasion was somehow Nicole Kidman's fault, not Daniel Craig's. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know it, it, this allows it makes for a sexier, sleazier, gossipy narrative of you know. I mean, Institute's still sexist. Let's call it what right, it is. Right. Well, but yet somehow Brad Pitt is still a movie star. Right. You know, Christian Bale remains unblemished. Paul Rudd remains unblemished, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, right. she's never been a butts in the seat star mm-hmm. to the extent that there are butts in the seat star any, anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's very important to add that disclaimer. Mm-hmm. You know, just because people thought she was very hot in The Wolf of Wall Street does not mean that she's a butts and seat star. Mm-hmm. If on-screen thirst was, especially for women, unfortunately, then Megan Fox would be an opener. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, not to be a dick about it. And honestly, that, that's one institutional problem that actresses face, and they've always, I, you know, at least since I was growing up, which is that, stereotypically speaking, women will go see a movie because the guy in it is hot, but men will not do that for women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know why. Right, I mean, right. I sometimes will, or at least it's an added value element. Mm-hmm. But 
does that make me a lech? I don't know. Maybe, but at least they're getting my money. I um, think with a lot of those those examples too, a benefit that those big actors have is that they could have a bomb like Invasion or Australia or so on or you know how do, how do they know or whatever that James Elbrook movie was called, yeah. and then they could fall back into the safety of their IP franchises. You know, Daniel Craig yes. could go off and become Bond, and Hugh Jackman could put the the uh, claws back on and be Wolverine, and Paul Rudd gets to go be Ant Man, and they cling to the safety of these IP hits. And yes. I think that this is a very lucky thing coming up for Margot Robbie is that next year, the Bo Boys prediction is Barbie washes all this stink away. That's mm-hmm. going to be a mega hit. Hopefully, the start of a franchise. And Margot Robbie could go do these Amsterdams if they still exist, and they will bomb. But then she could do Barbie and Barbie 2 and Barbie 3 and have that safety net. So I hope so. Mm-hmm. But the, And again, I, I'm not saying I disagree with you. I think in all likelihood it will be a solid hit. But she had a franchise, and obviously – and I will Mia Copa, I overestimated the appeal of her Harley Quinn as a butts and seats marquee character mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Birds of Prey underwhelmed and Suicide Squad bombed, and she was a big selling point of both of those pictures. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I was not surprised by Suicide, the Suicide Squad bombing. I wrote about it three years beforehand. You know, movies starring Will Smith that spawn sequels that don't star Will Smith tend to do poorly because mm-hmm. Will Smith, when he's in a, a franchise like that, is still a movie star. Yep. He's obviously hasn't been a movie star outside of franchises since Hancock in 2008, but I digress. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's unfortunately the way of the world. I mean, it's, 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 Marquee characters are what puts butts in seats. Right. You know, whether it's Michael Myers, Elton John, Deadpool. uh, It's not just superheroes, although superheroes, by the virtue of their marquee status, have an advantage. Right, right. Um, The other thing is there are some circumstances where you have a star plus character combo where it's kind of playing under their on-screen, off-screen persona in a way that is appealing. Tom Hardy being goofy as Venom. That works. Um, uh, 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 the Angelina Jolie as Maleficent. That's a perfect freaking combo. Right, right. Tom yeah. Hanks as a uh, real-life hero. Yes, Captain exactly. Phillips. Although, yeah. obviously, it worked with Elvis where he was a real-life scumbag. Yeah. I um, mean, Elvis is IP and yeah. uh, Austin um, Butler, maybe, let's fingers crossed, maybe we've got the start. Maybe. If this were the 90s, we'd yes. be able to safely say... Boy, oh boy, we're about to crowd a new movie star in Austin Butler. Unfortunately, this time next year, he might be uh, starring in his Apple limited series. And, (laughs) you know, we don't get a big movie from him for five more years. Who knows? And that's actually the safer route. I mean, I I don't blame Kevin Hart for you know doing Netflix all the time now, even Mm -hmm. though he was an opener before COVID. He was sort of the last comic opener. But three years later, why risk it? You know, you make father. I mean, fatherhood was supposed to be in theaters, so whatever. But you release fatherhood on Netflix. You know, they brought oh, at fifty million views in the first month. It's a hit. There's nobody to challenge that. You're successful, right? Mm-hmm. Now, um, since we're talking a little bit about Elvis, can we mention another movie that came out this weekend? Uh, the I Want to Dance with Somebody, the Whitney Houston movie. 
Now, we were very up in the air as to where she stood in the culture as an IP, as an icon, right? She's not going to renew who she was going to reach the heights of Elvis. And we did have a snowstorm this weekend. We did have some inclement weather. We do have Avatar gobbling up a bunch of, 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 of viewers. What does these numbers for Whitney Houston's biopic mean for her in general? Do you think this movie is pretty much DOA? Yes. Okay. I mean, it opened worse than, you know, Respect last year. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, and again, I, I don't like to blame the marketing. I think the trailers were fine. I just don't think they offered anything exceptional. Mm-hmm. Right, right, um, right. Elvis sold itself as it's an Elvis movie. It's also a bonkers bananas pinball based, you know, Boz Lerman picture. Mm-hmm. Right. And right. with the exception of Australia, most of his films have been hits. Yep. Right. And I don't know. I don't know to what extent the average moviegoer knows who that is, but the average moviegoer showed up to Great Gatsby and Romeo and Juliet and, and Moulin Rouge. And that might be it because he doesn't work all that. He doesn't make movies all that much. Right. But I, um, I, I think he at this point has broken through. I think yeah. Joe Sixpack, Middle America, doesn't know what Boz Lerman sounds like, has never seen a Boz Lerman interview, read a Boz Lerman interview. But they know his movies now. And I think they know that they're interested in him. I feel like he is officially a movie star director, you know, he's, um, he's in there with the he Tarantinos yeah. and, and such where his name counts the same as a star above the title. Yes. Um, and also, I mean, not to take anything away from everything that Warner brothers did right in marketing that picture, but they got really freaking lucky that Tom Cruise or top gun went bonkers mm-hmm. because every single person, almost every single person, including a shit ton of irregular moviegoers, older irregular moviegoers that went to see Top Gun in the month before Elvis came out, they got a snazzy trailer to Top Gun playing in the theaters. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, a snazzy trailer to Elvis playing in the theaters. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And that's one of the huge challenges for marketing non-tentpoles these days is people don't see non-tentpole movies in theaters, so they don't see trailers for non-tentpoles. Mm-hmm. They don't watch as much commercial television because so they don't see TV spots for these movies. And newspapers, barely, you know, they don't read the newspaper anymore, so they don't see posters and reviews for these films. How the hell are you going to market these films to anybody? Right. They're not yeah. watching The Tonight Show on Thursday yeah. night anymore and seeing the star of Friday's movie, Yeah, you know, next um, to Johnny or next to Dave or next to Jay. We'll give him. And even if they do, there's there's no crossover between viral Internet content and whatever they happen to be promoting. Right. Right. I mean, we we'll, know this in you know late 2016 when, you know, David S. Pumpkin did not help the box office fortunes of Tom Hanks's Inferno. Yep. Yep. And. and People will be watching some Margot Robbie clip from James Corden in three weeks, long after Babylon has been pulled yeah. from all the movie theaters. So a lot and of I help think that'll be. Part of that is, you know, it's a, you know, to what extent is the movie star system damaged by these people that are almost always in your face, intentionally right. or not, right. you know, viral clips and 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 whatever. I do think one huge reason why Sandra Bullock is still an the star is that when she's not promoting a movie, she vanishes off the face of the earth. That's huge. Yes, absolutely. She knows not to post constantly, not to be talking about all these different things that aren't movie star related. She is elusive. It's eight o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Do you know where Sandra Bullock is right now? I don't. She could be right behind me. I wouldn't know. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And you know what? And I'm happy to not know until her (laughs) next movie comes out. Exactly. 
And I, to a lesser extent, I don't want DiCaprio her to stand behind like me. Right. And no. I think without arguing direct correlation, because it's a little more complicated, I think someone like Dwayne Johnson let's is always it. promoting so many projects that he never goes away. Yes. All right. Let's uh, get, that's let's my get that's it. my point. Thank you, Scott, for saying yes, this. You're correct. Give us and, a break. Give me yeah. a little bit. And of again, there are other space. issues. If if Black Adam had cost as much as a as as Rampage and and Journey to the Center of the Earth two and Jumanji two, Jumanji three, and Skyscraper and Baywatch, so basically between ninety and one hundred and twenty million dollars, it would be a smash hit at three seventy worldwide. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. they spent. Initially, you know, the official budget was 195. You've heard everything from 230 to 260. Right. Some of that's COVID. Some of that's delays. Some of that's whatever the hell is going on. And right. they, back in 2018, 2019, they probably expected 100 to 150 from China and Russia, right? Which would have resulted in a face-saving 500 million dollar total. But, but isn't? Would you say that? Even just domestically, forget the overseas. Whether they expected more from China, the Domestic total for Black Adam to me feels a little and and you know I've been saying this for weeks and weeks is definitely disappointing that I, the Rock supposedly you know Sans Leo the biggest movie star we've got plus superhero in a year where there's not a ton of superhero content you know we had up until Black Adam had had a break since Thor in July so you would think all of that combined. It should have got higher than what is it at one sixty-five domestic? Yeah, one seventy domestic. I mean, I've been saying for weeks. Yes this and is, no. A huge disappointment. Okay. I think the concern, and you know, it's it's this was the concern going into the movie, was you have Dwayne Johnson, kid-friendly action fantasy movie star, DC film superhero film. I would imagine a lot of those demographics almost completely overlapped. Mm-hmm. So you weren't adding anything from putting him in that franchise. Mm-hmm. The film played like a, an above par Dwayne Johnson star vehicle. Right, right. But there was no uptick by virtue of it being a superhero, a DC superhero film. Right. So or you wouldn't say the hierarchy changed. What was that? You wouldn't say the hierarchy has been. Well, it clearly did. Mm. <laughs> it just, it, you know, again, I've, I've made this joke several times. It's, you know, it's like the end of Return of the King where, you know, Dwayne Johnson set out to change the hierarchy of power of the DC universe. And he did, but not for him. Mm-hmm. He, put he got sent into... off to the Great Havens or whatever. <laughs> they were like, well, we, we need to find our Kevin Feige now because this did not do what we thought it was going to do. So it made them even more desperate to lock down well, some sort of like is... people to I am of the long-standing opinion that Walter Hamada was doing exactly what we all said we wanted from the DC universe. Mm-hmm. And prior to COVID, his films were earning decent, to great, good to great reviews and good to great box office. Mm-hmm. And absent COVID, Wonder Woman 84 would have continued that trend. It might not have been a gajillion dollar, you know, wouldn't have probably made as much as the first one, but it would have been a solid hit with decent reviews. Because I believe, I absolutely believe that the film being released on Christmas Day at the, you know, at the, some of the worst times of a god darn pandemic mm-hmm. where everybody could hate watching it on Christmas because they were stuck inside and they couldn't go anywhere, absolutely skewed the critical consensus mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. narrative around that film. And, you know, we're seeing that even with Knives Out or, or Glass Onion, yeah. where instead of having a leggy theatrical run where people that want to see it see it and they like it and the reviews are good, you're having the discourse being defined by bad faith assholes like Ben Shapiro, who never would have watched it in the first place if it was a theatrical picture. 
Right. And out of context yes. clips that become memes, which yes. is, I agree with Wonder Woman 84. I didn't like that movie, but I feel like I like every movie better if I see it in the movie theater. And obviously I a did. giant I was superhero. fortunate to see it in the theater. I begged and pleaded with Warner Brothers and they did have a couple in theater screenings. Wow. And that is that, is, that stroke right there. That's what they call that in the business. <laughs> um, and I, I don't think it's a... It, I think it's a flawed picture, but I admire what it's trying to do. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, without turning this into a Wonder Woman 84 debate, I do think it's a far more subversive superhero film than something like The Batman, which is it's dark and gritty and about real world problems because no one's ever done that before. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, there has, to be fair, there has not been a Batman movie that has had uh, a Nirvana song in the. That is true. In the soundtrack. So there you go. It's some, that's something new. Um, um, you know, Nolan didn't do that exactly. But with oh. <laughs> Black Adam and with The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, you know, we talked about before James Cameron, he sets that bar high. I got to make $2 billion, astronomical number. Whereas I think the uh, one of the big problems here with Dwayne Johnson was the deadline article, was the, hey, fact, I got off the, the, the horn with, the, uh, with the, the finance guys and we've turned a profit and everything's great, and God bless the fans. You know, whatever that tweet was where he said, this movie's a success, right before he knew the hammer was going to come down at DC. I am not arguing any insider knowledge because I don't know, but I think he's done that before. Okay. Okay. Because he dropped an article in the summer of 2018 in Forbes. It was not mine, but somebody else in Forbes wrote this big buff piece glowing article about how Skyscraper was actually a hit because it was it made money overseas as if it was right. the first movie ever to gross money outside of North America. Right, and it was right. the biggest bullshit, what the hell are you selling here nonsense I had ever read. Right. And in retrospect, that's basically what he tried to do with Black Adam. Yeah, it's funny because – we were talking about this where he was laying out with his profitability uh, chart or whatever he had, that list, all these downstream revenue sources that are saving graces for movies that fail at the yes. theater. Yes. And so it was a failure at the theater. And then he just was proving it with these numbers, which are also faulty. So it yeah. was an insane well, thing to do. And because you're dealing with a franchise here, even if it did eventually break even, that doesn't mean the world is, you know, gleefully anticipating Black Adam too. Mm-hmm. Right, absolutely. Right. A, a Black I Adam. I liked the too. movie. I thought it was fun, but whatever. Did you see it in the movie theater? I did. The huge difference. I saw it on HBO Max the, well, the morning it fault. dropped, and it, <laughs> I mean it was someone's fault for sure. But um, a Black Adam two, I do think would be. And they know it would yeah. be a disaster. It would it would be a movie that would not make a hundred million dollars. I mean, domestic. it's only slightly less disingenuous than if Jared Leto started going on social media and saying the world wants Morbius too because it was popular on Netflix for a couple days. Yes, exactly. And I think Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, is in a bit of a a spot that I don't think he's been in since he made his career pivot around 2010, went to the Fast and Furious series, you know, sort of like supercharged his career around that time. I think he's had pretty smooth sailing for a while, and this Black Adam DC situation is a ding on him. It's a and, huge ding. And in this case, I'd argue the cover-up is worse than the crime. Yes. Because that, it's that, embarrassing. It's humiliating. Yes. Yes. And to the extent that, and again, I don't have any 
skin, you know, skin in the game or whatever. But, you know, the extent that he and his agent apparently like convinced Henry Cavill to quit The Witcher because Superman was waiting for him, blah, 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 blah. I'm sure it's more complicated than that. Yeah. Right. But, right. you know, from a, from a, so, you know, from a narrative point of view, it's like you didn't just screw over your own franchise. You screwed over this other guy who you wanted to be in your movie for your self-serving reasons. And because you have the same representation, not only did right. you get him in your movie and not only did you sabotage that movie by talking endlessly about this cameo that in the real world, nobody gave a shit about, no. you know, if people wanted Henry Cavill as Superman, Henry Cavill would still be Superman. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, I, without getting into the Snyder discourse, I mean, the numbers are the numbers. You know, right. Batman v Superman is still the most front-loaded movie ever to open above a hundred million dollars. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, Man of Steel was very front-loaded. Now you right. can argue it wasn't Henry Cavill's fault, and he's he's a good actor, he's a charismatic person. As far as I know, he's a decent human being. I don't know, right. but you know, the, the, this wasn't a case of everyone loves Chris Hemsworth as Thor. Right, right. He could have been a fine Superman who does. 10 Superman movies if the Superman movies he were in were better, but they weren't. And or, he's been stamped as the Superman in those bad movies. People or don't like. if he had swallowed his pride a little bit and been a, a utility player like Mark Ruffalo has been with the Hulk in the MCU. Yes. Where he doesn't yes. necessarily need his own movie, but he shows up as a huge added value element and brings, you know, Superman's in this movie. That's interesting. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, where do we think this goes with The Rock? Because, again, this is his biggest L, I would say, he's had in over a decade. He handled it incredibly poorly. You know, he showed no humility. I think he's had a public backlash that I don't think he's he's maybe felt since he's left professional wrestling. I don't think he's been booed by a crowd since he was Hollywood Rock back in the, you know, uh, <laughs> 2000s. But... Um, I would say he's got to do some soul searching and figure out what his next move is. My big advice is be in something good for once. Because <laughs> make another he, snitch, damn it. Make another snitch. I mean, yeah. listen, Clayton and I, the B.O. boys have said on this show, Dave Bautista, someday in our lifetime, will be nominated for an Academy Award. Yes. Mm -hmm. John Cena is earning raves as the peacemaker. He's got to look to his fellow pro wrestler turned actor brothers and be in something good with auteurs, give himself to an auteur director, do some acting, but do something that is genuinely like that is our advice. Scott Mendelson, what do you, what is your, I agree with that. I think he mm -hmm. also needs to do Jumanji four because that was a, those were both terrific movies that made an ungodly amount of money. Mm -hmm. And I also think if you remember Jumanji three, they set up a terrific cliffhanger where they did. The, you know, the, the characters in the game are apparently in the real world now. So yes. now you're going to have the kids as humans interacting with these video game archetypes, which are the actual exaggerated versions in the video game. It's, it, those were the two best movies, I would yeah. say, that Dwayne The Rock Johnson has been in. I love Rampage. I think Rampage freaking rocks. Mm -hmm. Pardon the pun. Mm -hmm. um, it's actually my favorite video game movie. Okay. Um, and I think he is very good in these films that are you know, relatively unpretentious, not trying to set box office records and don't cost more than 120, 130. So they can be huge hits at 350, 400 million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think he needs to do Jumanji. 
he needs to stop pretending that Red Notice is a great new franchise. Yeah. Um, and yeah, as you said, he needs to, you know, do a couple supporting roles in other people's movies. I mean, he got so much goodwill from being the supporting character in even bad movies like Be Cool, where he was yes. the best thing in a bad movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Or even like Get Smart, where he was basically the best thing in an okay movie that made a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, he was or he great in type by playing the villain. He was great in Pain and Gain. Yes. Yeah. He in a movie filled with good actors. He was terrific. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, his. Um, it's the one instance you could point to of The Rock giving himself to, and you may like him or not like him, but Michael Bay is an auteur. Yeah. You know, he mm-hmm. makes Michael Bay movies that stand out in a way that I think The Rock hires these directors who are basically, you know, yes, his man. his crew. You know, he's trying to do the Adam Sandler thing of you, you have your directors who make your movies, but Adam Sandler also goes and he does a Safety Brothers movie and a PTA movie, and he does auteur movies along with having his buddies direct movies that he tells them how to direct them. Yeah. And he budgets his movies properly. I do think Brad Payton is a skilled workman director. I think San Andreas, it's not my favorite movie or anything, but I think that works. And that's Mm -hmm. another film that cost $110 million that looks a hell of a lot more expensive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did Rampage. I think that is a interesting. You know, I think it's a good, successful, kid-friendly PG-13 action fantasy that balances the line between being a video game adapt- adaptation and being just a bonkers bananas monster, you know, adventure film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and or even something like like Hercules, which was sold as a rock vehicle, but it's basically an ensemble. Right. Right. So. Um, I mean, I think that we've we've put together a good list of uh, piece of advice for one of the richest men on the planet. Which be an is, actor again. You can afford it. Be an actor. Be more humble about your L's. People like yeah. humility. Because again, and, I mean, really, the cover-up was worse than the crime. Yes. Black yes. Adam was a moderate underperformer that came, you know, had it opened in 2019 and had China gunning on all cylinders. It probably would have crawled to 525 and fine, whatever. Right, right, right. Um, let's talk about, uh, we mentioned Dave Batista. There's a movie that everyone's talking about online for good or bad, which is Knives Out 2, Glass Onion. Now, this movie just dropped on Netflix on Christmas Day, Christmas Eve, just a Christmas, few days uh, 23rd. ago. 23rd. 23rd. Yeah. 23rd. So, so it had a full three-day opening weekend. People are memeing it. They're debating it. They've seen it, they've seen part of it, and then fell asleep, and then woke up, and then it started again, or, you know... Uh, and uh, it only pulled Stranger the Things biggest playing. debut ever for Netflix. Yeah. Oh, and what, did you, what did you say there, Scott? It only pulled the sixth biggest debut for Netflix. Yeah, I and mean, all that money they spent, and that's that what they got. that money they didn't make, from, because they didn't put it in theaters like a normal movie. I mean, let's get into it. That... Box office run that Netflix uh, had with Glass Onion back in Thanksgiving. They put yes. it out for what? Seven days, 600 theaters, and it opened to – did it make $15 million in that run? It was somewhere Over around there. Yeah. So the only, the only thing it did, and this, you know, not to be conspiratorial, this I believe was the reason they did this. They mm-hmm. didn't open the movie in like early November when there wasn't anything opening, or late November to early December when there was nothing opening. They opened it on Thanksgiving weekend when there was a shit ton of other movies opening. The mm-hmm. only I would argue the main reason to do that is was to decap the competition. 
Wow. The kneecap so they, films like The Fablemans and Devotion and uh, uh, Strange World that needed theatrical. When they why? didn't need theatrical. Because they're dicks. Mm. And again, this so, is a good and evil. They're all giant businesses here. Right. But yeah. they're all evil. But why pick yeah. on The Fablemans of all? Is, is yeah, it because I mean, has Spielberg has is this the grudge against Spielberg where he's been the one who said Netflix shouldn't be part of the Oscars? Which, he's one of those Oscars who's never done a Netflix that. movie. He argued that the theaters should be playing those films, not mm. that Netflix was bad for not showing them. Okay. But there um, has there has been this Netflix versus Spielberg yeah. narrative. So Some of was it's fabricated, that? but yes. Okay. And yeah, okay. I, I again I'm not arguing anything. I don't want to get sued for slander here. No, but of course not. The thought crossed my mind. What do you think if Netflix had just released Knives Out to Glass Onion to 4,000 theaters, given it a, 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 let's say even they announced it, it will be out exclusively for 30 days before it drops on Netflix. Based on the small sample size we saw and the reviews and the audience reactions, I mean, our thought is that movie makes $50 million in that five-day Thanksgiving window, and Easy does $150 million in the first month domestic. I mean, Even is that Even if fair? it's front-loaded, because you, know, you have to imagine that people that don't see it in the weekend three years are going to wait for Netflix. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, assuming they put the money behind it in terms of marketing, and they figure out how to market a theatrical release where they have to do more than just put up a billboard in Hollywood and have it on the front page of the Netflix thing on mm-hmm. opening day, which to be fair, gets the job done for Netflix. Right. You know, it's like, oh, you know, this movie's dropping and no one's heard of it. There's no marketing. Well, nine times out of 10, the only marketing they need is it's, a, you know, a thumbnail on the front page. Right, right. Um, that being said, yeah, I could have easily seen it done, you know, 30, 40, 50 million dollars over five days and then laying out to 120 domestic and maybe 250 worldwide and, or even 200. But again, and this is where I go to, you know, films like, you know, should Disenchanted be in theaters, should Ocus Pocus 2 be in theaters, or et cetera, et cetera. You've already made the movie. You've already right. spent the money on the movie. The only extra money that you would spend is a theatrical marketing campaign. And right. If you can justify it, then by all means, throw it in theaters. What do you got to lose? Right. And and at this point, we talked before about how people don't watch TV commercials nearly as much. They're not watching the late night talk shows, blah, blah, blah. Could these theatrical marketing campaigns start to – I know you have to spend more to get the same amount of eyeballs you used to. But for a movie like Glass Onion, the biggest drivers are probably going to be – People seeing the trailers for three months before the movie comes out. So if Netflix just was playing the Glass Onion trailer in a real way in movie theaters, that would be a, the biggest battle right there. And get the stars to do their interviews with all the publications they need to do interviews with the week leading up to the movie. And maybe don't then spend your $100 million campaign and see what happens. Because I think... Glass Onion with yeah. just trailers and a real theatrical count probably does those numbers. Mm-hmm. Even if that's overly optimistic, and I don't know how I feel about that, what do you got mm-hmm. to lose? Right. Because, right. again, you've made the movie already. So why then, in your opinion, why is Netflix – why did it stick to it? It didn't give it – people were hoping, oh, they'll expand the theater count – They'll keep it in longer. How could they turn down what's basically the free money? The only that's what rational they did. reason I can think 
is that they didn't want the blight of the film getting a full-on theatrical release and underperforming, especially compared to the first Knives Out, mm-hmm. where you have a situation where Netflix, king of the world, somehow is crappier at marketing theatrical than Lionsgate. So they they were just scared of their own failings. Again, I'm not, right. you know, this is a suspicion, not an accusation. Right. Uh, right the other right. thing is just they don't give a shit about theaters and anything that helps theaters doesn't help them. Right, right. And yeah. I think that's what Bob, you know, We'll see if different now that Bob Iger's back at Disney, but I think that was Bob Chapek's thinking that he did not want theaters to be a major part of the Disney ecosystem. And mm. the sooner they go out of business, hey, whatever, it's now it's all Disney Plus, yippee skippy. Yeah. And the only reason he didn't F around with the Marvel movies is because Kevin Feige would have left. Right, right. And, and and to me that maybe listen, I'm not a CEO. You know, uh, I, I'm not uh, worth hundreds of millions of dollars yet, but I do think it it seems a little strange that a company just wants to get rid of what is historically their biggest revenue stream for their product, which is theatrical. I mean, you are correct. It's insane. Uh, in 2019, I, Disney made 12 billion dollars in global theatrical revenue. Mm hmm. Now they didn't get all that back because you have you know splits theaters and studios, but right. that theatrical success drove below you know ancillary you know DVD, PVOD, EST streaming eventually. Mm-hmm. But, but what they've but, done now in the last two years is not only have they undercut their theatrical revenue marketplace, they've absolutely decimated the post theatrical because everybody knows that anything Disney will eventually be on Disney Plus. Right. So there's no incentive to buy a DVD, rent it on digital or buy it on digital or rent the Blu-ray because you wait another month, it'll be on Disney Plus forever. Yep. It's a crazy I think it's even crazier now because, you know, Wall Street has kind of turned on streaming in a way where they're like, it's not about subscribers. It's about making money, guys. You got to make some money. What a novel idea. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, how did we not figure that out immediately that this was all going to collapse like a house of cards? Uh, and here's the thing is that Glass Onion was a budding franchise that had a track record at the box office and Netflix could have raked in money and they left money on the table. And like you said, they did kind of give a fuck you to theatrical. And then what really it made me mad was that you had these headlines saying, oh, Glass Onion solves the mystery of getting people to the theaters. And it's like they are they cannot benefit from the headlines for box office when they don't care about theatrical. That is just not. Well, they also don't officially release numbers. So you're doing whisper, whisper. Yeah. And the success of Glass Onion is entirely predicated on the success of Knives Out. Mm-hmm. What's the secret to getting people back to theaters? Make a sequel to a movie that did well in theaters that people liked. Whoa, Netflix yeah, is know. such a disruptor. Crack the code. Right, right. Um, right. And again, I, Netflix is not good, good and evil. I, 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 my issue is as much about how Wall Street treated Netflix as the one ring to rule them all, and they treated them like they were a tech company instead of an entertainment company. And I blame the rest of the industry, which, to be fair, was on some pressure from Wall Street to basically follow them all off the same cliff. Mm-hmm. Right. Right, right. So do you think that anything will change going forward in terms of Netflix's theatrical strategy? You know, do you think that they will look to their next potential big movie? And I I don't know what that's going to be because Netflix's movies have not been getting better 
these <laughs> last few years. I mean, Glass Onion does start to feel like an outlier in terms of a Netflix movie that we think would do box office. But do you think they're going to be more theater friendly going forward or this is what it is? I would like to think that they'd start be, they'd start using theaters at least as a glorified marketing tool, as a mm. way to separate the wheat from the chaff. And honestly, I, I wrote about this back in May 2021. I was hoping that's what they were doing with Army of the Dead, which is right. a rare Netflix mockbuster that feels like the genuine article. Right. I mean, right. again, without getting into the Zack Snyder discourse, I did see that in a theater, and I'm very glad I did. Right. It looks right. and feels and plays like a real movie. Right. right. And... I'm very much looking forward to Rebel Moon because, yeah. I mean, him getting to play in the Seven Samurai meets Star Wars sandbox that he almost kind of sort of flirted with doing back in 2013. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, but otherwise, it's... Knives Out, because it was such a theatrical hit, was the biggest Netflix original in terms of let's see what we can do with theaters. And they didn't take the shot there. I can't imagine there's anything there's no safer bet than a theatrical, than a sequel to knives out. I was going to say, this was the one. What the hell? Yeah. This was the one. No, I just, this was the one and they didn't do it. So it doesn't make me believe that they have any plans to change uh, the horse in midstream. And, you know, it's like, you know, 20 years ago, you know, if 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 Warner Brothers wasn't willing to use Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman and Stanley Kubrick's eyes wide shut to fight for the NC-17, then it was never going to happen. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. All right. So let's just quickly. There are a few movies that came out in this top five this week that we didn't touch on. I think. Well, I think the one we didn't touch on at all was actually the number two movie. Yes. At the box office this week. Puss in Boots. Not Puss in Boots. It is Puss in Boots. <laughs> yes. The Last Witch. So that movie made over twenty million in its four day, right? And did it get to twenty six yes. million? It in did its get to twenty six over six days. Day, A slight so, disappointment. Okay. Certainly below what Sing did. Sing two did thirty nine million last Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, the film only cost about ninety million dollars. It's mm-hmm. very good. <laughs> the reviews okay. are spectacular, and for good reason. Yeah. There's not another animated film on that scale until Illumination and Universal Super Mario Brothers in April. Wow. It's going to be a freaking monster. Um, wow. Unless I'm missing one. If I'm missing one, I apologize. But I, think, I think you might be right. Um, the, the rats are so not going to have any I new cheese for a long time. I would not be shocked to see legs that push this one to bad guys numbers, which is you know around 100 million domestic and maybe 250 worldwide. Yep. Which yep. not a blockbuster, but ninety million dollar movie that's gonna make bank on PVOD. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's gonna, you know, when it goes to Netflix, assuming DreamWorks films still are, I don't know when that contract expires, it's gonna be huge on Netflix because Sing Two is huge on Netflix. Yep. yep. Um I think without overly kissing Universal's ass, I think it's very clear that they are the arguably the last old school movie studio left in the industry. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. Sony would like to be, and I think they're making good choices in terms of an old school theatrical window. And in Mm -hmm. terms of use, you know, a huge massive third party Netflix deal, which gives them a financial cushion to make movies like the woman King and, and uh, where the crawdads sing. Um, And, you know, I want to dance with somebody that even if they don't break out and become huge hits, they're still going to be big on Netflix and there's, they're making money off of it. Right, right, uh, right. Paramount after this year, I don't know. Maybe they're back. 
yeah. <laughs> a year ago, I sure as hell wouldn't have said that. But I mean, they got Dead Reckoning Part One coming out in the summer, and they got I think that's Rise be... of the Beasts, which I think is actually going to play off. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's a Beast Wars adaptation, you're going to have people that don't give a shit about Transformers, but they're going to show up because of Beast Wars. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, now, now, do you think this this snowstorm that we had this past weekend and these theater closures, do you think uh, Puss in Boots was probably the the movie that got hurt the most because you got to pack your kids up, you got to put them in the snowsuits, you got to get them going, and it's maybe just easier to stay home or go directly to grandma's house as opposed to taking them to the theater. See that. I, yeah. I can see that being more of a factor than Avatar. You know, Because, I mean, you know, the first Avatar opened during a horrific snowstorm in 2009, mm-hmm. and James Cameron was like, fuck Mother Nature. Right, <laughs> yeah. right. Um, and clearly he did that again. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yes, you know, Puss in Boots, yes, I can see otherwise interested families that either didn't go or waited or might just now wait for PVOD because mm-hmm. they were snowed in, basically, mm-hmm. which now, is unfortunate. But Universal, yeah. it's still the king of the hill in terms of theatrical animation, if only by default, because they've been kicking Disney's ass for three years. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. Have you heard anything about any future Shrek movies? Of course, Puss in Boots is part of the shrek Does this I haven't make heard it... anything different than what you've heard. I'm sure they're in okay. some stage of development because, mm-hmm. you know, a movie like that is always in development. It doesn't mean it's actually right. going to get made. Right, um, right. And I think there's easy money to be made in making another one. I can't imagine why they wouldn't unless the only the only logical reason I would think for not making a Shrek movie is if Mike Myers, Eddie Murphy and Cameron Diaz say no or ask for way too much money. Right. And then you have right. to like hold your breath as like, OK, more so than most animated franchises. This one is banking on the stars. Yes. All three would have to be back. Yeah. But I, I, I will say so Clayton and I, we saw Babylon today. Uh, right off of a, we were in a mall on Long Island today. We found the Bo Boys found themselves on a mall. We checked out a Hot Topic just to see what the kids are still into, and there was Shrek merchandise in the Hot Topic. So the Shrek IP does seem to be still very strong with the young folks, and I think a Shrek sequel, even if Puss in Boots is slightly disappointing right now, the Shrek IP but it's a great movie. So it instigates goodwill for the next one actually being good. Well, we want to read you something Mm -hmm. right now, Scott. And actually, Clayton, do you want to read this last part of an email we got from wannabe old boy Eric? And he works at a movie theater. He had some boots on the ground reporting from us, but he specifically had something to say about Puss in Boots. So, Clayton, I, do you have that fired up in front of I you? I have it fired up. So, Eric said, Puss in Boots seriously seems like it could be an intergenerational hit. At 9 p.m. when an evening showing ended, a middle-aged man was embarrassing his family on the way out by enthusiastically dancing to the end credits music. Far away in another corner, there was a little boy who was dancing for a minute straight. These two gentlemen were unrelated at the theater with different parties and probably couldn't see each other. This movie is leaving audiences feeling energized. The big screen is back. Yes. It's it's the importance of the big screen because – and you are right. It is a multi-generational nostalgic property. And yeah. yes, it's not opening as huge as, say, How to Train Your Dragon 3 or obviously Frozen 2 or Toy Story 4. But mm-hmm. I would say to a certain extent, Antonio Banderas' Puss in Boots is a marquee character. 
Mm. Um, maybe that's on a curve. Um, it's funny you say that. That's an interesting anecdote because I saw Shrek on opening night in you know, 2001, and I knew it was going to be a monster hit when you know the, the film ends and everybody's singing and dancing to I'm a Believer. And basically every single person in the theater is to some degree toe-tapping as they exit the theater. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you and want the, to leave happy. And they have and, not – the kids have not had anything in the last couple of months. I mean, Strange World was a disaster. Lyle Lau Crocodile was a certified bum. We've said it a million times. This movie could, I'm going to call it, I think this movie makes more than the bad guys. I see this movie doing more than the bad guys just because of these reactions. Wow, big bad guys fan. Again, you got to subscribe and watch this show on our YouTube channel because I'm not even going to say the, the. No, no, fingers crossed. That- I. I- no, oh, no, fingers, fingers crossed. No, 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 no. I thought it was fingers a middle crossed. finger. No, fingers no, no, crossed. No, no, no. no I like the bad I was, guys. Don't get me wrong. I was hoping for a viral I'm moment there, but it was fingers Buss, crossed. I'm hashtag team puss in boots all the way. Wow. Got that it. was okay. very excited for Scott Mendelson to be flicking me off. His <laughs> co-host. Yeah. His say co-host something wrong saying, about Shanghai Nights. Everywhere. Oh, we never talk. Blasphemy. No. no. Um, so let's see. I would say within this top five, top ten here, any other stories? Violent Night it's is doing now the up job. to it's doing the job. It's over forty million. It's what at forty two million domestic, yeah, twenty million domestic or twenty million budget from a thirteen and change opening weekend. Uh, it's doing well on PVOD for what that's worth. Um, we the the Bo Boys were part of a uh, post Christmas party last night or a couple of nights ago. And we all PVOD'd Violent Night. I'd seen it in the movie theater. Some other people in the party had seen it. Others hadn't. PVOD'd it. Raucous response in the room. Raucous response when I saw it in the movie theater. Scott, do we have possibly a little action franchise that could be started here? Or is there going to be Violent Night 2? Violent Night meets nobody. Yep. Mm. That's Um, a crossover. Yeah, they're both 87 whatever. 87 North. (laughs) Action for everybody. People are going to kill me. Um, but no, it's yeah. I mean, if they want to make a sequel, yes, I think there's a market there. Yeah. Um, I think more importantly, though, do you see David Harbour as a possible Gerald uh, Gerald Butler level B movie action star? Is that a possibility for him? Is that his niche? The reason I'm not, not sure is because I think part of the hook was a guy like David Harbour. Harbor, who isn't known as an action star, playing mm-hmm. John McClane Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. In the same way that, you know, I don't think Bob Odernick, I'm sorry, I'm going to hell, uh, whatever his name is. Bob uh, Odenkirk. You know, Odenkirk, playing a John Wick type character was sort of a skewed anti typecasting and nobody. Right, okay. right, right. So it's like, you know, it's like, you know, when, you know, when Aiken came out, it was, it was unusual to see Liam Neeson leading that kind of movie. And now it's sort of like, okay, that's all he does. But right. also, when we're talking about Die Hard, Bruce Willis was a comedic yeah. actor on a si- on a show, Moonlighting, yeah. and he became an action star for the ages. So there's a possibility for David. You're right. Harbour. You know what? I am mistaken. Same thing with Kurt Russell. You know everything. You know, trying to remake. You know, Escape from New York. The whole point of that movie was that Kurt Russell was a Disney Channel star going hardcore. He was right. the computer that I mean, wore tennis shoes. Yeah, if you want to do that today, you cast uh, you know, Noah Centineo or whatever his name is, who's terrific, by the way, on the recruit. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the show is very good for the first four episodes when it's a television show. I mm-hmm. think it's very disappointing for the last four episodes when it's an eight-hour 
Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. he is very good. It's the, the kind of incredibly charismatic and charming and you know whatever star vehicle that we always talk that today's movie stars don't get in theaters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like watching yeah, it's like oh okay that's why girls want to fuck up. Now it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, David Harbour remains to be seen. He could make that pivot. That's a, that's the thing about minting new action stars is anyone could get jacked if they put their mind to it. Yes. So, Kumal, Kumal, Kumal is a perfect example of that. Nobody right. would have called you know, Kumal after Num-Jan, a quiet yeah. place and get out. I'm waking, I'm waiting for, uh, Al Penn's masterpiece horror movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anything, let's see. Anything else, Scott, that you want to touch on in terms of just big picture stories you've seen from these last month or two at the box office? I'll throw one thing out there. Prestige Oscar movies. You know, in the past, listen, even in the heyday of the 90s, you'd have Oscar bait that didn't connect at the box office. But it does feel like we're really hitting a tipping point. We are. I mean, even as recently as 2017, you had mm-hmm. Hidden Figures and La La Land both topping 150 domestic in December right. 2016, January 2017. Right, right alongside Split and Rings and other less successful films like domestically, Triple X, The Return of Xander Cage. Um and that that even 2019, just before COVID, you had uh, Little Women yes. cracking 100 million. You had God. 1917 racing to 350 worldwide. I mean, it, it's once upon we a almost, time we were almost there. Once upon a time in Hollywood, made 150 domestic. Yeah, made 141 had, domestic, 375 worldwide, unca- and that was after gems. it got blackballed in China. Yep. yep. Uncut gems at 50. Yeah, we were so close. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's that's the movie right now that is in trouble. Yeah. Is Uncut Gems made 50 million domestic in fall 2019. And that that's sort of a movie star vehicle, but it was Oscar bait adult drama and the equivalent to that right now is a tar or a Fableman's or an Armageddon. Well, not an Armageddon time. That's a much smaller movie than yeah, even that, Uncut that was Gems never was. Gonna... But something um, like Tar or Banshee's of Inisherin. I will say that I think Uncut Gems was able to sell itself as an Adam Sandler thriller. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, but I Little say, Women you know, making like hundred million domestic. Yeah, yeah. I would say that Uncut Gems is more commercial than Tar, which is basically right. a tone poem passion play. Right, um, but a Banshee's of Inisherin. Yeah, a, a Banshee's of Inisherin. Even I would say if this exact movie opens in twenty nineteen. It's doing 25 million when all said and done. I agree it's maybe with you. hitting 30. And now this is a movie that I don't think it made 10 domestic. The only Oscar season breakout other than the Woman King, unless I'm missing one, is Terrifier 2. Yeah. Mm. I mean from your from your lips to God's, you know, vomit is is what I would say. <laughs> special effects nomination. Special effects nomination. It, it, it deserved one, but it didn't make the short list. It didn't make the short list, Clayton. So, okay. uh, um, but it was. To be fair, it was everything Oscar everywhere bait. all at once didn't make the short list, which is insane. That's insane too. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so, it might win so, best picture, but it's not going to win best special effects. So, so I think that is the type, and everything everywhere was a big hit. But well, it was, was. I mean, I don't know if that means anything other than just false hope. Yeah, it's a, it was also sold as an action movie, as a comedy, yeah. as a multiverse movie. And so, to be fair, at least in America, you know, Hollywood, mm-hmm. whatever, 
has there ever been a non-action movie with action as good as what we saw in everything everywhere all at once? <laughs> Not that I can think of. Um, it, it, so that is a genre that does feel like it's in a little bit of trouble, which is, you know, n- adult movies that are very specifically only dramas, only yes. awards bait, only prestige. You know, that is now a genre that are they going to be able to justify making that three years from now? And it's, it's the thing is, it's the type of movie that most actors and most writers and directors get into the business to make. So yes. can the box office justify the budgets of those movies? Three it years is from now? up to the audience to show up. And yeah. I've been saying that for seven years because this is unfortunately, this is not a new problem. Mm-hmm. I think once the large swaths of the general movie going audience, the ones that would see the event films and other stuff, once they started looking to streaming as their first choice for general casual film entertainment consumption, right. that's when the bottom fell out on the studio programmer. Right. And that's why you have a, an actress like Margot Robbie who is treated like a star, but there's no middle of the road vehicles for her. It's either right. a franchise or, you know, commercially doomed auteur project. Right. Like, right. Even Jennifer Lawrence can't get a mid, you know, a mid-level movie made. And, and when she gives insane. one of her best performances in something like uh, Causeways. 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 And, you know, it's on Apple, so nobody watches it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think what's really scary about these movies or for these movies and their fate is that, you know, there's always gonna, there was always going to be room for Oscar movies, right? There's yes. always going to be rooms for, room for uh, a studio to be like, we want to win that gold. And people aren't caring about the Oscars anymore. So no. if the Oscars become so sidelined, these movies are going to become even more sidelined. And I think that's with, – with the, the, the lack of people interested in the awards, these movies are going to be even less likely to be made. And that's what's scary. And mm-hmm. what's unfortunate, and we saw this last season, we had people bitching about, oh, you know, why don't the Oscars nominate more populist movies? Which they actually mean is one thing nominate Spider-Man No Way Home, mm-hmm. which is that the kind of movies that were nominated, Coda, West Side Story, King Richard, they used to be populist films. People used to go to those even, you know, three, four, five years ago. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, right. Mr. Holland's opus used to make a lot of money. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's not that the you know it's not that the Oscars stop nominating movies that people like to see. It's that people stop seeing movies. Right. Right. And and it's you know there is something to in the public consciousness. The White Lotus is a bigger deal for adults than the Fablemans. Yes. You know that is where people are going to get their stories to get their you know above average talk about the plight of humanity drama. They're going to the White Lotus. They're not going to Armageddon time. They're not in a going way, to tar. HBO, if it still wants to maintain its brand, and I don't know what mm-hmm. Zasloff has in store, mm-hmm. and Apple, which very much wants to be the next HBO and doesn't have a crap set of IP, might be the last hope. Because right. my fear is that as every studio gets their own streaming platform and they're fighting for attention and they're fighting for media coverage and they're fighting for oxygen, we are starting to see them become as obsessed with IP and franchises mm-hmm. as move as theatrical studios were. Right. Um, I mean, thank goodness for Dark 
Tyler Sheridan's Yellowstone thing, which, yeah, it's an IP, but A, it's new to cinema. B, it's it's the kind of, whether it's Yellowstone or 1923, or even, mm-hmm. you know, the other stuff that isn't Yellowstone affiliated, you know, Tulsa King and uh, mm-hmm. the mayor of Kingstone. Those are the kind of TV shows that used to be what peak TV was all about. Right, right. Even right. now, those things are endangered species because they're all banking on Harry Potter this, Game of Thrones that, Ring of Power that, Star Trek this. Right. Right, right. It's uh, it, it's a, it's a interesting landscape, but I think that this year did teach us. I still will, will say that if the product is there, people yes. want to go to the movies. I think we have officially relearned that in 2022. We had these droughts. This fall drought was rough, and people aren't going to go make a blockbuster out of a. I know you liked it, but out of what most would say is a bad movie like Black Adam. Yeah, but if there's good product, people still want to go. Yeah. And what do you think? Let's let's sort of wrap up by looking forward just a bit. What is your big picture outlook for 2023? Do you think that the the release schedule, the slate, is returning to more of a pre-pandemic uh, state of normalcy. Do you think that there the will summer be enough season product? certainly is okay? So I think from April, from March to at least August, and I, I I'll be honest, I'm not looking at September, October, November. Right, I could right. be mistaken. There could be plenty of stuff there. Um, I think from March to August at least, it's going to be business as usual, which is okay. a of improvement on last year, where basically right. you had April was busy. June was busy, July right. was kind of busy, and then jack shit for the rest of the year, save for a couple tent poles. Yep, yep. Now, this year, we still were seeing a lot of big moves out. You know, remember, there was a, when this year started, we thought Creed 3 was going to be a Thanksgiving opener. You know, mm-hmm. Black Adam was supposed to come out late July. The Flash. Uh, was supposed to come out this year. I think Aquaman. Yeah, w- there was that yeah. that period we thought Aquaman <laughs> and Avatar Way of Water were opening the same day. You know, so there were a lot of moves this year that weakened the schedule. I'm hoping that that's not going to happen next year. That suddenly Super Mario Brothers isn't going to be moved. No, I think a lot of those were moved to make sure they could finish on time. Because right. I think Mario was supposed to come out this December, and then right. it was supposed to come out September. Spider Man Across the Spider Verse was supposed to open this September. Got moved right. to next June. Black Adam was from July to October, and that was one one reason why there was such a lack of theatrical releases the one optimistic thing is that box office is down by almost an identical amount to percentage wise to the amount of movies in wide theatrical release mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. if there are as many movies in theaters as there were in 2019 2018 2017 then theoretically the overall box office should be about on par give or take right right and if the main way that people are going to learn about movies is movie trailers in theater at this point, the only way that's going to happen is year-round product to get yeah. people into movie theaters. You know, and television isn't doing it anymore. No. And I think with the bottom falling out and the streaming boom, or at least Wall Street changing its mind on a dime, which um, – I mean, keep in mind, Disney stock got hammered because Avatar only opened to 441 million last weekend. 
Mm-hmm. And you think they're going to recover now that the film's actually playing like a James Cameron movie? I don't know. But right, that right. happens because Wall Street's dumb. Because um, Wall Street, look at that opening number. They don't get the analysis. They're yes. not listening to the B.O. boys. They're not reading Scott Mendelson. Uh, tell them what those numbers really meant. Yeah. And then they're not looking at the legs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, because Wall Street guys, they're not leg guys. Like No, us. they don't. Yeah, they never look back. And they, they yeah. Um, I do think we're going to see a pattern that this has been an issue since 2015. And it's getting worse, mm-hmm. which a larger percentage of the overall box office is going to be made up of a smaller portion of theatrical releases. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In 2011, mm-hmm. it was... 16 percent 2018 it was up to 26 percent 2019 when disney was you know throwing everything out you know whatever it was closer to like 40 39 percent and this year once avatar is finished it's going to be around 41 percent but i apologize i I missed the 41 percent of the top six movies right 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 top six movies in 2011 2018 2000 you know whatever made up X percentage of the overall box office. And in my opinion, that explains everything we complain about. Why aren't people seeing more regular movies? Why aren't right. people seeing more diverse movies that they claim to want, but then ignore when they're in theaters? Um, right. You know, why aren't there movie stars, et cetera, et cetera? Because while people are still going to theaters, overall box office was up before COVID. Ticket sales were down, but not drastically so. And honestly, mm-hmm. ticket sales have been pretty, I mean, not it's not as horrible as, as, Inflation notwithstanding, as people like to say, and right, I think right. even if tickets are tilting more toward premium auditoriums and dinner theater and stuff like that, well, if you're selling more food, then that's a win-win for theaters. Right. Um, right. Or if you're buying a more expensive ticket because you bought for IMAX instead of 2D DLP, then you, the theaters and the studios are both getting more revenue from that ticket sale. Mm-hmm. Win-win. Mm-hmm. Um, but – Audiences are, and again, they don't, these are people that don't obsess about the movies. They they don't obsess about, you know, franchises. They half the time they don't know if if Mar if Morbius is actually an MCU movie, and they don't care. Um, mm-hmm. They sure as hell don't care who Ezra Miller is. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it, it, it's so much of this online nonsense. None of this is about the real world, and that's why it drives me nuts when it makes up so much of the discourse. Is um, is the Here's a here's a, a call for a prediction. Is the Flash going to get a full theatrical release yes. next year? Okay. Unless Miller returns to a life of crime, allegedly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and I mean actually, you know, and again I'm being hyperbolic, you know, kill right. someone or something. Right, right, right. You know, if 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 they do another burglary, yeah, whatever. But right. to be fair, we have not heard from them in a few months. And what I always predicted was that they were going to go into treatment and just in time for promotional tour, they were going to come out all healthy and sober. And the rehabilitation was going to be the upworthy part of the Flash's promotional campaign. Right. A, a key a triumph maybe over a-, a triumph over mental illness. Right. And, and as cynical interview. as that sounds, if it's true, great, wonderful. Right. Right. Okay. So, so the flash coming out and final thing I'll, I'll ask since we're on the superhero DC stuff, uh, do we think that the sort of turnover at DC, the fact that they're rebooting the continuity, all that will have any effect on the 
DC movies that are still coming out? Shazam, Aquaman, I the don't Flash. think so because I think mm-hmm. at the end of the day, David Zasloff wants to make revenue. Mm-hmm. So he's not going to do anything that will undercut the present tense revenue that those films will de- theoretically deliver. Mm-hmm. And I think the average human being, moviegoer, does not give a shit if everything's connected. They're mm-hmm. going to see Aquaman Lost Kingdom because they thought Aquaman rocked. Right, mm-hmm. right. They're right. going to see Shazam Fury of the Gods because they really liked the first Shazam movie. Right, right. Um, and everything else is just for YouTube and the blogs. Right. And it's same thing on the Marvel side. Are they in a downswing? Are they level? I think or is- you may be reaching a point that for regular Marvel movies that don't, you know, go crazy, that there is a ceiling of over under 800 million and over under 400 million domestic. Right. Darn. Which is fine. Right. Still a lot of ma- money. Yeah, still, especially if they take that into account when budgeting. So maybe the next right. one only costs 180 instead of 220. Right, right. Maybe you just make it an hour and 40 minutes <laughs> and you spend a little less and well, we all win. Thor 4 was short and it was still pretty bad. Yeah, that's true. Clayton, any final question on your end? Anything for Scott Mendelson as we look ahead to next year? Any final thoughts from anyone here? No, I mean, the only other question I would have is we talk about how, and we've had guests on the show just talk about how we're a little bit over-screened in this country. We have more screens than we need. And our thought, or at least my thought, is that we need more premium screens. We need more PLFs because there's a complaint that, well, people just won't pay to see movies. And it's because they're not going to pay to see a movie at a, a regular theater that doesn't have premium sound, premium screens, good lighting, you know, things like that, comfy seats. What is your thought on that? Should there be more IMAXs yes. and PLFs? I do think the more you are promising a moviegoer that they will have a high-quality audiovisual experience as a matter of course, not just if they get lucky, then the more likely they will be willing to go to a theater to see a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, my only caveat with the whole, we have two, yes, we have probably a saturation of screens, and I think there will be theaters that close, unfortunately. But you also have to, comp- and I don't know the answer to this. This is a dilemma because that also clashes with the idea of I would have seen the Fablemans, but it was wasn't playing anywhere near me. Right. And the more right. theaters that close, the more likely you're going to have that situation where there really is only the Marvel movie and the Jurassic film and the Fast Saga flick playing in a theater anywhere near you. Right. Right. You'll have the movie deserts where listen, we're coastal elites. You're in yeah. L.A. The Beale Boys are in New York. <laughs> I, I listen, I saw white noise in a movie theater. You know, we'll be able to see those movies, but you're going to have middle America living in the stacks, you know, the earth dogs and the plain billies, and they're not going to be able to see, like you said, the Fablemans, Armageddon time. These are just movies that basically won't exist if we start knocking down movie theaters. But the, the hope is that, you maybe get rid of a few screens. You combine some theaters, have bigger screens, and let the Fablemans get a couple of days in a premium screen because now we've got more of those. Yeah, so. that is that's true. And the, the other downside to that is, you know, when people talk about, oh, they don't make movies for real Americans or they don't make movies about regular people. And that's not true, but and this is a problem that's only gotten worse over the last decade, when those films do get made, they don't get wide enough to actually be seen by the demographics they're about. 
Right. I mean, it's right. great when you make Nebraska, except it never goes wide enough to play to Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, that is the truer words have never been spoken. So Scott Mendelson, I think we thank you for all the time oh, you've given welcome. us. Yes. Thank you so much. And, and tell us again, how could our wannabe O boys, wannabe O girls, wannabe O people, people continue to follow you? You are I'm, now at the rap. I'm at the rap. I'm doing work there. Um, I am still at Twitter at Scott Mendelson, and that's basically it. All right. Well, there you go. So, of course, everyone could keep following us. Uh, send us emails, the BO Boys podcast at gmail.com. We love getting your emails, reading your emails, uh, reading your well wishing. So, keep sending us those at the BO Boys podcast uh, at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at the BO Boys pod. So we've got wannabeo intern Christopher, who is making great videos for us there. Lots of clips, lots of audiograms. So follow us on Twitter at the Bo Boys Pod, and of course subscribe to the YouTube channel. You could see what was the hand gesture that Scott Mendelson gave Clayton earlier when we were talking about pushing for luck. Listen, it's up to interpretation. It's, it's one up. of those things. Did <laughs> did Carrie Styles uh, spit onto Chris Pine's lap? He Who knows? Did Who knows? Not. And you um, know it. Yes. But well, you still have to go to the Bo Boys YouTube channel to find out for sure. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. So everyone, I think we did it, Clayton. We definitely did it. I don't think there's anything left to say. Except, except until next time. We'll smell you at the box office. Nailed it.